from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Kelly Snook on February 5th, 2018. Kelly is a scientist who worked for NASA for 19 years. She's also a musician, songwriter, and music producer. Her current project is putting all of these disciplines together in what she calls the Concordia Project. We talk about this project that brings the work of Johannes Kepler into the 21st century. We also share in the interview her love for putting sacred writings to music and her recent endeavor to put Kepler's writings to song. I started the interview by asking Kelly where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up. I grew up in a very small town in western Colorado. It's named Delta, Colorado. This town had about, I think, around 1,500 people at the time when I was growing up, and it's not that much more than that now, but it was also the county seat, so actually it was kind of full of life, even though it was such a small town. One thing about this town is it seemed to have almost more churches than people, <laughs> so there were a lot of opportunities to visit different kinds of churches and different social environments in those churches. There was a time when we were growing up that we were just kind of experimenting with church, mostly as a social experience, I think, as children. And at the same time, uh, around the time when I was six years old, I think, or six or seven, uh, my mother became a Baha'i because she was friends with another Baha'i woman in our town. One of the very few, if not the only other Baha'i in our town. As my mother was learning about the Baha'i faith through this friend, she became a Baha'i. And so we started also as children learning about the Baha'i teachings. So we kind of had that going on at home and at the same time, you know, sometimes going to church with friends. I wouldn't say that it was a super important part of life in terms of identity, but it certainly was there as, as a kind of a general culture. And the culture of our town was... I guess predominantly Christian, yeah, but also I think I felt at the time quite open to, you know, and welcoming to people coming in, visiting the churches. So my experience of religious life was that it was, it was kind of there, but it wasn't dominating in any way. So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, music producer, music technologist, scientist. Kelly, when was it, and, and what was the journey that had you become, I guess, confirmed in the Baha'i faith? Well, I'm a scientist, so I kind of think of it as a working hypothesis. And over the years, I've had opportunities to experiment with it <laughs> and just determine for myself whether it, it works, really, I guess, for me. And this path has been adventurous, let's say, where I've had exposure to a lot of different ideas and a lot of different cultures. I had a period when I was in graduate school at Stanford University in engineering, 
where it was quite a, I guess, a materialistic or reductionist type of an environment and, and a lot of opportunity to study philosophy and other approaches to reality other than religious. You know, I had an opportunity to learn how to think critically and to examine my beliefs and my thoughts uh, more rigorously and more scientifically. And so along with that has gone different approaches to this working hypothesis. And at certain times in my life, it, it hasn't, I've chosen to try and experiment with a different working hypothesis. So I can't really say that there was necessarily just one moment when I just became a Baha'i and that was it for me as a scientist, especially. It's been a journey of discovery, rediscovery, study, experiment, failure, <laughs> just showers of confirmations at certain times. And it's this, I guess, this pattern of experimentation, reflection and action and study that I kind of consider myself to be in this never-ending learning cycle rather than having hit upon the truth forever and ever. Music is a big part of your life, and science is a big part of your life. Was that always the case when you were growing up? Yes, actually. From when a very young age, I always thought I would be a musician when I grew up, and that was what I envisioned myself doing. I, I knew that music was something, the thing that I should do with my life, but at the same time, I was very terrified of it as a, a profession or a pathway for making a living because I... Uh, had two parents that were musicians, and I saw how difficult that was as a way of life. <laughs> and and so that scared me, and I thought that I might not have the luck required to uh, be successful at that. So I decided to kind of go the easy route and study engineering instead. <laughs> That's really funny that you'd call it the easy route, because uh, <laughs> for a lot of people, that would be a difficult discipline. In one way, it was difficult, but another way, it was quite clear what had to be done. You know, there, there are problems and there are equations and there are quite specific things that you can learn and do. And if you learn and do those things, then you take all the boxes, whereas it's much, much less clear with music. But there's no clear path to expressing what there is to express. You know, it's so personal and it's so deep that to try and access that, and especially to try and access that in a way that allows you to make a living from it. It requires a kind of vulnerability and a kind of courage that I don't think I had. I still don't think I have, but I definitely didn't have when I was 16 and, and facing the idea of having to make a living doing that. I didn't know all the things that were possible with music. And in fact, a lot of the things that I'm doing now, they just didn't even exist then. So there was no way to know. But I thought I, I either had to be a, like a concert pianist or or a, a rock star. And there, the world of music was quite limited in my mind. And those seemed like very difficult paths. So I was speaking with Kelly Snook, scientist, music producer, songwriter, which we'll share later. So, Kelly, you worked at NASA for 20 years. What kind of work did you do with for NASA? Actually, it was only 19 years, but close <laughs> enough. I was working at sort of the intersection between science and engineering. And these are actually very different worlds 
at NASA in complete different, even completely different centers in the country focused on different things. And, and the scientists and the engineers work together a lot in exploration and especially in, in planetary exploration. And so I was working on lunar and Mars exploration primarily. For some of the years, I was looking at what we need to do as prerequisites for sending humans back to the moon or onto Mars. And what do we have to do to prepare for that? And what do we have to learn before we can go with humans? And, and then once we're there, what do we need, not just to have the humans survive, but to have them produce scientific results. <laughs> so we would not only think about this from a strategic point of view, but we were we would also do experiments in places on Earth that are like the moon or like the like other planets or like Mars. And we would simulate being there and we would conduct scientific missions. We would sometimes live in isolated environments in little simulated lenders just to try and learn what are the constraints that we don't face on Earth when trying to do science on another planet. So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, musician, musical producer, engineer, scientist. Now, you're involved in quite an interesting project now that you made me aware of. You call it investigative music, and it's related to the Kepler Concordia project. Why don't you give folks some background on the Kepler Concordia Concordia project and also your work in what you call investigative music. So I'm kind of launching a new field of study that I call investigative music. And what that means to me is using music to explore reality. And this could be exploring physical reality, like taking scientific data and turning it into sound in a way that allows you to use that sound or that music to make discoveries. And there have been a few discoveries recently that were discovered through sound like this. Or to use music as a way of accessing the divine, which anyone who has felt that feeling of goosebumps when listening to a piece of music or access to some kind of a deep emotion or a deep feeling in certain certain types of music, that's a real mystery to me. And I love the challenge when creating devotional music of trying to find those exact things that you can do musically that will will give that access to someone, it will cause them to just be overcome with some kind of very powerful feelings. And so I, I'm really interested in the power of music, both intellectually, on the intellectual side for scientific discovery and for spiritual or emotional discovery. And so I think both sides of these, for me, comprise investigative music. And it kind of harkens back to the medieval times when there was this idea of the music of the spheres that originated with the Greeks and with Pythagoras, but was brought back into mainstream thought, I think, and rigorous study by Johannes Kepler there were other things in between, but we can't go into a full history of the science of the music of the spheres. But when Kepler came onto the scene in the early 1600s, late 1500s, it was actually fairly common to look at music as a tool for science. In fact, music was, in medieval times, in medieval Christian doctrine, 
there were three types of music. The first type of music was the music of the spheres. It was thought that the relationships or the bodies in the heavens had harmonic relationships with each other, and as they moved through the heavens, they possessed these musical properties. But that music was thought to be inaudible. And then there was a second kind of music in medieval Christian doctrine that was called, I can't quite remember how it's translated, but it's essentially the, the music of the human body and spirit. So those patterns and those musical relationships that connect the human spirit with the human body, like the rhythms of the heartbeat and, the, and breaths and also in sometimes mostly inaudible mystical relationships, I guess. And then there was a third type of music called instrumental music, which was created by either by the human voice or by instruments solely to mimic the first two. So in fact, music wasn't an art. It wasn't self-expression. It wasn't the way we use it today. Music was in the quadrivium, which was one of the four tools for investigating reality, along with geometry, mathematics, astronomy, these kinds of tools. So I'm really interested in a, in, a, in a sort of return. I think the future of music, in fact, one of the futures of music, I hope, will include a return to this use of music for these purposes. I think there, there's a real power in it that we're not harnessing yet, either at the individual level or in the scientific realm, but also just collectively. I think we've gotten little glimpses of it as a social power but for the most part, I feel like it's often abused and, and not being used, <laughs> in fact, not being used responsibly. I see, it, I see music used a lot in a quite a materialistic way and in a, in a way that sort of takes advantage of all its yummy things like chocolate cake but doesn't have the nutritious bits in it. So <laughs> I see investigative music as an attempt to to study, really, to study how music can be used to investigate reality. I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, scientist, musical producer, musical technologist. So <laughs> investigative music, is that a project that you're pursuing at university as a professor? Yes, I do hope that this will become, some at, at some point, someday, part of my official title. But at the moment, for me, it's a conceptual framework for the work that I do. It's a kind of an umbrella that unites two seemingly disparate or different types of activities. In my mind, they're really all very similar activities, but on the surface of it, you might not see the relationship between, say, the time I spend in the studio with Luke Slot or with another Baha'i musician who is striving to set the Baha'i teachings to music with the planetary scientific data sonification that I do in the lab or the virtual reality you know, systems that I'm building or the new instrument that I'm building. There may not be an obvious connection on the surface of it, but for me, it's all part of the same pursuit of music as an investigative tool. So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, scientist, engineer, musical producer, songwriter. So Kelly, you mentioned that you are building an instrument. Can you tell us about that? So 
nearly 400 years ago, really 399 years ago, Johannes Kepler made an astonishing discovery that essentially launched modern astronomy and turned everything on its head. Johannes Kepler was a proponent of the Copernican theory that was somewhat new at that time. Copernicus asserted that the sun was at the center of our solar system, where everyone else at the time, including the both churches or all of the churches, believed that this, the earth was at the center of the solar system. And so there was this massive debate that started when Copernicus proposed this very radical idea that actually wasn't that radical, but really was at the time. It wasn't that radical because Pythagoras actually knew it 1,500 years before that. But, but by this time, everyone believed that the earth was at the center of the solar system. And so Kepler came along about 100 years after Copernicus. He knew. He could just see and sense the truth of the Copernican theory, but there, still some, there wasn't something quite right about it. And so he was really bothered by it because even Copernicus's new model didn't match the data. And so Kepler was one of the first people who had access to very, very detailed observational data of the planets. And he started to notice really just how much it, doesn't, it didn't match. And it didn't really match anyone's models. And so he was really driven to understand the perfection of God's creation. And this was his main drive. And he was convinced that God's organizing principle was harmony. And when I say harmony, I don't just mean, you know, mathematical harmony, I mean, actually musical harmony. And so Kepler made his astonishing discoveries of the way that the, the laws of planetary motion that he's now famous for, as a byproduct of trying to understand the musical harmony in the solar system. So he spent all of this time just poring over this data, trying different equations and trying them again. One of his major discoveries was that the orbits were not circular, they were elliptical, which nobody accepted, not even Galileo, who was his contemporary. I say all this as background because it's really important to understand just how revolutionary Kepler's work was. And what interests me is not only just how revolutionary it was, but why he was doing what he was doing. And he was doing it to make visible and even to make audible God's grandeur and God's organization and the beautiful order that he saw in the solar system. And so he discovered that the orbits were elliptical. He discovered the equations that govern the planets and the orbits and these are the equations we still use to this day. What I want to create is a way for people to explore and play these musical harmonies that Kepler discovered, and more, more that since we've discovered so much since then, to be able to play the solar system as a musical instrument, and to do it in an immersive way, so that as you're playing the music, you're also learning about the physics. So it's a it's a musical instrument, but it's also a scientific instrument. So I call it a musical instrument for scientific investigation. And it will be released on the 400th anniversary of Kepler's publication of Kepler's Harmonies of the World, where he published this work. So it's a really exciting kind of historical, scientific, educational, musical experience. So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook. 
engineer, scientist, musical producer, songwriter. <laughs> I mean, what is unique about this instrument that requires you to develop it? Well, the music itself is based on the mathematics. So we have to take all of the different or try a whole bunch of different things so that everything that you see and you hear when you play the instrument is scientifically accurate. It's actually it's actually the mathematics of what's happening in the solar system. So I don't think there's ever been a musical instrument like this built. There have been some games, but not to this level, of, I guess, of scientific accuracy or for this purpose of illuminating these scientific principles. We're building it in virtual reality or augmented reality so that you'll have physical controls like a cockpit, but you're flying through the solar system in a virtual way so that you can really experience almost like being in the systems that you're hearing and you're seeing and manipulating them with your gestures or with knobs and buttons and keyboards and, and the various things that you normally would use to play an instrument. So it's a kind of a physical and virtual instrument. And eventually I would like to make it so you can play with others as well in the same environment. So it might be a multiplayer instrument. We don't really have very many of those in the world. Sometimes you see two people sitting at a piano or in an orchestra, you have everyone playing their own instrument. But in this case, we might be able to have many people in the same space playing the same instruments, which would be, I think, really fun as well. So I was speaking with Kelly Snook, engineer, scientist, musical producer, songwriter. You had mentioned that the completion of the instrument project would coincide with the 400th anniversary. Was it Kepler's birth or his con concept of music of the spheres? Well, the concept, actually, the 400th anniversary of that is coming up in a month. Mm. I won't have it done by then. I call that the epiphany. It's a really well-documented epiphany. It's really exciting to read his writings about what happened to him when he when he made this discovery, he really he didn't believe it. And then he, 19 years later, he came back to it, and he still didn't believe it. And then a month later, he finally let go of the concepts that were keeping him from believing it. We have all the dates that, that, that those things happened. So we won't be able to celebrate the, the having of the idea, but they were published in 1619. So in 2019 is when we'll be releasing the instrument at least the beginning of the instrument. And I see this as an instrument that will just build and grow over time. It'll be on the internet and people will can add, like with a modular synthesizer, can just keep adding bits to it, enhancing the experience. And is it'll be open source. All of the code will be online. The physical interfaces, also instructions for how to build them will be online. So schools and museums and kids and people in their garages can build their own physical cockpits and then download the app and, and play it. So I'm hoping to make it easily accessible for anyone with any level of technology at their disposal from, you know, just a phone or their computer to a full-on, like, <laughs> VR room in their garage. <laughs> I think what really inspires me about Kepler's work is the degree to which he was able to use every aspect or every faculty of the perception of truth available to us as humans. And he used them all 
fully, starting with a very strong spiritual concept, this idea of God's organizing principle being harmony. That was a spiritual conviction he had. You know, he had some evidence for it, but it was just an internal instinct that he used to guide his work. And then he he used data. He was absolutely insistent that the data matched the mathematics or the, the theories. So he would never accept even a small deviation between the observations and the equations. Whereas in the past, people were like, ah, close enough. <laughs> he never allowed that. Because to do that required letting go of a whole set of antiquated notions that people were holding on to, especially the church. So he was, on one hand, really driven by spiritual principles and religious principles and conviction about God and about science. But at the same time, all three major denominations of the church at the time. He was Lutheran. He was excommunicated from the Lutheran church. He was rejected by the Catholics and then also by the Calvinists. So he was, you know, not welcome in any of the masses or any of the churches. And yet he considered himself to be a priest of the highest God. He referred to it as the astronomer of the priests of the temple of God, where the temple of God is is the solar system. And so he was reading God's reality in the physics. This is super inspiring. And he's not the only one in scientific history to do this, but he writes about it so beautifully. And he essentially, with Galileo together, they invented essentially the scientific method of hypothesis and observation and conclusions and and changing the hypothesis and he was so exemplary in the way that he would change his whole scientific theory change his equations go back and rewrite his initial his earlier texts when he found out they were wrong you know write a whole piece saying oh hey you know this thing i wrote before it was wrong and here's why the way that he was able to invent to search for truth and to use music to search for truth this is something that i want people to to not only appreciate and know about, because most people don't know about it at all, but I want them to experience it. And the thing that Kepler concluded in his work at the very end of his Harmonies of the World, which was his most famous and most important scientific text, I think, full of math and equations and geometry and data, at the end, There's a quote from him where he concludes from all of the scientific research that we are one and that we should live together in harmony with each other and that we shouldn't be at war with each other. And for him to come to that conclusion from the science that he'd done, you know, I think that that's that's what I want people to experience when they play the instrument. I want them to experience the oneness that Kepler exemplified in his in this scientific research and in his writings and I want them to feel it at a really really deep level that only music can allow you to access. I've been reading a lot of Kepler's letters and his biography and a lot of the letters he wrote back and forth to Galileo and to some of the other scientists of the day and to his family and his friends and I just kind of embarked on a project that we're going to hopefully be finishing within the next month, which is songs uh, using his words. You can play a little clip from 
one of those songs, one of them is called The Reverend Astronomer, because it's he's talking about the role of, of astronomers illuminating God's reality or God's spiritual reality. This is a song that you've composed and recorded? Well, it's, it's a partnership between me and Kaylee Lore. I sent him some bits and pieces of just improvisations, and then he's turned them into songs, and then I have put Kepler's words into them, so created the text setting of it. So it's a, it's a partnership. Kaylee's really collect, created most of the music, but I've just tried to decide you know, which texts to use for each song. We will probably have between five and seven songs right now. We have two. His words inspire me almost as much as the Baha'i writings, which I often also use as inspiration for music. I find his words so powerful and so so inspiring in so many different ways that I wanted to make them more generally known <laughs> to people through music. So this is a artistic project, so using music as art rather than as investigation, just as a pathway for making Kepler's beautiful words more widely known. So why don't we just play them right now, this part of the interview. What is the first one called? The first one is called The Reverend Astronomer. These songs are just songs we're working on, so these are works in progress. They're not finished yet. We'll be releasing them hopefully within the next couple of months. So you might just want to play a clip, but this one is Kepler writing about the pursuit of truth, about what it's like to come so close to truth, about what it's like to feel when you're face-to-face with some really deep mathematical truth, the beauty in that, and then the responsibility of communicating that truth in a way that's quite similar to a religious theologian. And so this particular song is a little window into his thinking about that.
So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, scientist, engineer, music producer, songwriter. Tell us a little bit about the other song that you've recorded, understanding yeah. that it's it's a, a work <laughs> in progress. So this second song, I was just on the phone with my friend Kaylee Lohr, and he had just hit the space bar on what he was working on. And just from one second of hearing it, I was so excited about that. Send me that right now. Just whatever that is. I don't know what it is. Send it to me right now. He's like, but I've only been working it for 20 minutes. And I said, I don't care. Just send it to me now. And he sent it to me. And it was just so inspiring. And I immediately thought of this quote of Kepler's that I wanted to sing to it. So I took the song and I put it on loop and I went into the vocal booth and I literally just started improvising, reading, like looking at this quote from Kepler about Cicero. Cicero was a philosopher in the Roman times, right after the fall of the Roman Empire. This quote, Kepler is talking about how philosophy and mathematics can be a relief of sorrows. And it's just such a beautiful quote and exciting to think about mathematics in that way. And music in Kepler's mind, mathematics and music were the same thing. So I just sang a bunch of different things. And eventually the things that I was singing started to be the same each time. So then I put them all together and sent Kaylee back the song. And this was the song that launched the project where we decided that we really, really wanted to make a whole record of Kepler's words with Kaylee's music. So, yeah, this is that song.
So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, scientist, engineer, musical producer, musical technologist, songwriter. And this seems like a good segue into your devotional compositions. The one that I love so much is called Patience. And I wonder oh, if you could you. Uh, tell folks about that song and I'd like to play it. Well, I mean, in general, my relationship with music is much, much more on the musical side and much less on the lyrical side. So I don't tend to write my own lyrics. And so I tend to either set Baha'i texts to music or more recently, Kepler's text. One day I ordered a new instrument and it came in the mail and I took it out of the box. It's an instrument called the Tenori On. And this was an instrument designed by Toshio Iwai. It's a beautiful, simple matrix of, of 16 by 16 matrix of LED buttons that do all sorts of different things. And I was exploring this instrument for maybe 10 minutes and I decided I was going to make a song with it. <laughs> so really in that first hour of having the instrument out of the box, I set some of the words excerpt of a prayer by a very important female figure in the Baha'i history, the greatest holy leaf, who endured a great amount of suffering as she was exiled with Baha'u'llah and the members of Baha'u'llah's family, who suffered greatly when members of the family became ill and died, and tried to also soften that pain and agony of other people through these prayers that she wrote. So this one of these prayers, I call it patience, just because that's what stood out for me in the text. But it's really a, it's a prayer that people who have lost loved ones can say, praying to ease their pain and their sorrow. I didn't set the entire thing to music, just the first bit of it. It was a very spontaneous thing. I, I didn't sit down to try and write a song. It's just what I had been reading and was right next to me. There was a compilation being created a few years ago, and I was asked to just contribute that to the compilation. So I finally actually finished a mix. I don't usually finish anything, <laughs> but thanks to J.B. Eckel and folks that were working on that compilation, I managed to, to finish it. So this is called Patience. Thy grace 
So I'm speaking with Kelly Snook, engineer, scientist, music technologist, musical producer, songwriter. I like how uh, it's different every time. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really say what she does. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get let's get into the uh, musical producer part here. So you produced a CD for the singer-songwriter Luke Slot. The um, album is called yes. Year of the Nightingale. Was this your first foray into producing a CD? Oh, no, no. Luke and I both felt when we were working on this, I think, I mean, I don't really want to speak for him, but I think we spoke about it a lot. So I know that we both felt as we were working on this project that everything that we had learned and everything that we had done and all the mistakes we had made and all of the triumphs that we've had and all the things we'd chosen to do were kind of leading up to us being able to do this project. So I don't know how many records I've produced, but I've actually produced quite a few by now, devotional records with other Baha'i artists and with other artists that aren't Baha'is, and then a lot of projects, whether full albums or songs or film scores or a wide variety of music production. So I'd had experience making records that were not devotional, which was equally as, I think, important to have that experience as the ones that were devotional. It's a unique challenge, actually, to make a devotional CD or to make devotional music because, on the one hand, you don't want to just fall into very standard, any kind of traditional tropes. There's no traditional Baha'i music. In fact, I cringe whenever anyone uses those two words together because we actually don't have that, at least in our faith. There's no set way to pray or to set the prayers to music so that there are no formulas to follow with devotional music. At the same time, as musicians, you really want to make the music interesting, but it can't be too interesting. So there's this fine line where you don't want to just do something for the sake of its musical interest. You're trying to really always have the words front and center. The words are the most important. It's music with a purpose, kind of like a film score in that the music is being used for a purpose, but it's it's not like a film score either because the story is different for each person. Any two people reading a piece of God's revelation are going to see it or feel it in a different way. So how do you create music that gives them access to that without distracting them from it or without making them want to turn it off or without them being offended by it? Music is also so subjective that this is a really, really big challenge. Trying to make something that will appeal generally to a lot of people, it'll never appeal to everyone. But even more than that, Baha'u'llah says that music is a ladder for the soul. And he also describes prayer in the same language, that prayer is a ladder for the soul. So how do you create the piece of music that is the ladder and not like a well <laughs> for them to fall into or just something that's just being satisfying some kind of a creative itch. It's really not about that at all. It's about searching and searching and finding and experimenting and finding those musical elements that will lift up or illuminate the spiritual principles in the words. So there's a lot of really deep thought that has to go in. It felt like my first experience in many different ways. It was my first experience with such deep and intentional consultations about every aspect of what we were doing 
and meta aspects of what we were doing and what was the purpose of music from the very, very broadest levels to the very, very smallest details like should we hear the breath here? Should we choose a different recording of this syllable in order not to conflict with this other little element? Choices that you never quite understand the the complexity or the level of attention to detail in order to serve the spiritual purpose. It feels like it can be a bit like too much of a responsibility in a way to try and do these beautiful, deep, incredible words of Baha'u'llah justice in the music. Because, you know, we can be frank, we hear a lot of music, it doesn't do them justice. We took, in the end, eight years to make the record. That included some time when we had given up on the project. So it wasn't eight solid years of constant work. We decided we were going to make it for the bicentenary of the birth of Baha'u'llah and devoted to that purpose and released during that holy year. We decided we were going to just make it as excellent as we could. So it was my first experience allowing ourselves all the time and all of the budget that we needed to make it as excellent as we could. Often you have to make compromises to finish a project. Those things didn't happen in this project. It was a a really miraculous thing where I had worked for eight years and well over 10,000 hours on this music and never, ever tired of it. And we went through five rounds of mastering, which I'd never done before, and kept mixing and remixing and, and working on it until we were really happy that for us each song reached that goosebump level it was such a beautiful powerful amazing experience we knew that we were onto something special and we knew that in order to do that we needed to have practiced in so many different ways leading up to it and i agree with you kelly that not all baha'i devotional music is created equal <laughs> uh, so i'm speaking with kelly snook music producer songwriter, engineer, scientist, musical technologist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just have all these words in front of you and you just pick two. Actually, songs. none of those are in front of me. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just thinking of well, what, what's all the things that Kelly does. You know? <laughs> now, you're splitting your time between the UK and the US. Are yes. You re- is it? musical production work in the States and your scientific work in the UK? Roughly. That's roughly how it's split right now. I do have a small studio here that I can use to work on projects, and I have some really beautiful musicians that I'm working with here in London, so I will tend to do a little bit here when I can. And my university that I work at, 40% of the time is at the university. And that is where I have my workshop, where I make stuff and build stuff, where I'm building the hardware component of Concordia. And it's also where I work on the DIY version of the Mimu Gloves, which is a project uh, that we've created uh, gloves for making music uh, that have sensors in them. So our company, Mimu, is in the UK. So I also do the Mimi work here as well. So yeah, it's kind of the music technology side more in the UK and the pure music, the spiritual investigative music side of things in the US. 
More or less. Well, Kelly, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of the work that you do. It's really just marvelous. Thank you so much for you taking the time and sharing your work with us. Oh, it's really my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kelly Snook, scientist, engineer, musician, songwriter, and music producer. You can find her work on the Concordia Project by typing in concordia.world in your browser. Devotional music by Luke Slott and produced by Kelly will be played after our close. You can find this interview and other interviews at abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Yeah.
But the rose of love. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.